This is Calvary Baltimore's Harford County Bible Study with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. And now, here's Pastor Josh. Matthew chapter 3. <clears throat> While you guys all turn there. So, so far in the life of Jesus, we have been shown how the story of Israel has been fulfilled and retold in the life of Jesus. Remember, it starts off in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 with the genealogy, and it starts at Abraham. So the life of Jesus starts in Father Abraham, had many sons, many sons, had Father Abraham. And so Jesus has come from Father Abraham. Next, we have uh, the next story in Matthew's account is of the story of Jesus's father, Joseph. Well, that parallels Joseph from the book of Genesis. They are both dreamers, uh, and they both have to flee to uh, Egypt, uh, and uh, God uses them mightily. Of course, Joseph, he saves bread for the nations and actual bread because of the famine, and jo Jesus' father, Joseph, saves the bread of life for the nations in Jesus, uh, his son. Uh, then Matthew chapter 2, we get introduced to a new pharaoh in Herod who wants to kill all of the uh, Hebrew children, just like Pharaoh threw the Hebrew children into the Nile. So the life of Jesus has been paralleling the story of the Old Testament. Uh, and now here we are in chapter 3, and we are introduced to a new character, John the Baptist. Now, Matthew is not tracing the story of Israel as as the gospel narrative continues, he's tracing it specifically through Jesus. So John the Baptist appears to break the, the progression from Genesis to the Exodus, but it doesn't because this isn't for every single story within this book. It's really about the life of Jesus. So so the the, the running theme of that is not broken. Uh, but but today we're introduced to a new uh, a new character, uh, John uh, John the Baptist, uh, and he's going to show us that John is a type of Elijah from the Book of Kings. Um, Interesting, when we get to the Mount of Transfiguration, who are the two people we see up on the mountain? Does anyone remember? Elijah. And Moses. Remember, Jesus has been established as a new Moses. So there's just some pretty cool connections happening here. But both of these men are on the same exact page. They're both on a mission from their Heavenly Father to advance the kingdom of God. And by the end of chapter 3, we're going to see John baptizes Jesus, which I think I'm going to talk about on Sunday because I wanted to share a message on baptism. And here we are by the providence of God. Uh, so I've spent literally my entire day studying what the early church thought about baptism. Uh, so that was my whole day. I've been in ancient texts all day. Uh, and anyways, I'm, I'm excited to do it. But, but by the end of chapter three, what are we going to see? Jesus comes into the Jordan and he leaves the water and is led into the wilderness. And she, by the end of chapter three, we're going to see Jesus almost has a Red Sea crossing. And then by the time we get to chapter five, well, we're back at a new Mount Sinai, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, for today, however, we're going to spend some time looking at the life of John the Baptist. Jesus said of him, there was never a man born, born, uh, never a man greater born of a woman. So the story of John has the strongest endorsement imaginable. 
by God. Uh, so we should really closely examine uh, John's life. And all four Gospels actually talk about John the Baptist. So this is a foundational story to the life of the church and, this, and, and the forerunner to Jesus Christ. So Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. <laughs> Coffee break. Thank you for the decaf, by the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My pleasure. If it was regular, I'd be up at 3 in the morning going, Steve! <laughs> <laughs> In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So John is a prophet. And prophets in Scripture were often raised up to confront their nation's leaders. A prophet did not have an easy job. This is not a cushy thing. You ever see people today call themselves prophets? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and uh, the, the, there they are on their yacht casting, uh, thus saith the Lord's. Uh, a prophet's life was not an easy life. In fact, if you see a prophet in the scriptures, odds are they're either making some king furious or they're defying some king's rule. Well, Matthew introduces us to John with, the, with it says, in those days. Now, the point is, is this is connecting John's story to, John, to, to Matthew chapter 2, which ended in governmental chaos and evil leadership. So, the, so, so the, this government is evil, and John is a prophet. And if you know the Old Testament, that tells you there's a storm of ruin. <laughs> uh, John will oppose evil in high places, and evil in high places will oppose John. Uh, verse 2, John's message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, not long-winded, that's great. Uh, John's message has two things both repentance and the kingdom. Uh, really interesting, you almost hear neither one of those sermons anymore today, which might explain the state of the church. But uh, repentance turned from sin and to God. And one of the reasons this is so impactful is we have a message of repentance, we have a message of the kingdom. One of the reasons I think we, we, we don't hear much about the kingdom anymore is because we've turned Christianity into a very singular religion. Um, here I come to worship, here I come to bow down, here I come to say that you're my God. Nothing wrong with that song, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's not necessarily wrong. But the kingdom of heaven implies a corporate aspect. There's a plurality to it. And so John is not telling singular individuals to repent, though he is. This is talking about a national need for repentance. John is calling a whole people out of one kingdom and into another. He's calling for a national repentance, a national mourning for sin, and a national turning to God's kingdom. Now, fascinatingly, Jesus in Matthew 4.17 is going to say the same exact message. So John and Jesus preached the same way, at least in Jesus' early ministry. Jesus says in Matthew 4.17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John's message is not a message for a few individuals, but is calling the country to nationally repent of their sins, um, which I think is important to tell us what John's about. He's pleading for Israel before the coming wrath because we're going to see Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. And Jesus talks about it constantly. 
He warns about the destruction of Jerusalem over and over and over again. There is wrath coming to Jerusalem. And and here and, and John knows it, Jesus knows it, the apostles know it, and they're pleading with people to repent before it's too late. Uh, now Matthew's going to tell us in verse three, as we, we read, that John is a fulfillment of prophecy. So all the gospel writers, they tend to point John as the Old Testament was not only building to Jesus, but was building to John. And John testifies, of course, to Jesus. And this is what Matthew says, verse 3. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, or if you're English, Isaiah. And when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Um, we this was almost our sermon, but I want I cannot move this slow on on Monday nights. We'll never get done, Matthew. So uh, we're gonna. Uh, this was a lot more points. I condensed it to three. So we're blessed. First, John is in the Judean wilderness. <clears throat> So I, I took a group to Israel. No one here went with us, did they? No? Okay, so I, I took a group to Israel, and we stood in this wilderness, which is really cool to, to think about. But let me tell you, it is not pleasant, the Judean wilderness. It looks like Mars, but imagine with a little bit of water and, and dead grass coming out of the banks. No trees? Uh, it's, they're sporadic palm trees, but I, this is the saddest palm trees you've ever seen in your life. Uh, a lot of the trees that they have are based off of irrigation systems, but natural palms don't really occur much, except for in a portion of the Judean wilderness near Jericho called Engedi, which is where uh, Saul was relieving himself and he, David cut a piece of his robe off. There's a spring there. There are places with water, um, but but yeah, the, the trees are not... It's it's not they're they're very sad looking trees. Also, I got attacked by a bee there. It was the most muscly bee I've ever seen. It looked like he was a football player with shoulder pads. I go even the bees are tough here. Uh, but this is not a pleasant. You're not vacationing here. Is my point that John? I can't imagine John's in the wilderness because he likes the wilderness. John's making a statement. Now, what is that statement? When you're in Jerusalem, there is one road, even to this day, that heads east out of Jerusalem, and that's called the Jericho Road. It heads east out of Jerusalem and down to the Dead Sea to the Judean wilderness, and the River Jordan that feeds the Dead Sea, it's water. So the River Jordan from Galilee through Dan, it comes all the way down and feeds the Dead Sea, which is that pool where you can float. It's that giant body of water where you can float in. It's yeah. awesome. Also, I have psoriasis and it burns so bad, but totally worth it. But anyways, John the Baptist... John the Baptist is there. He's in this very unhospitable climate. Mm -hmm. But to think about John the Baptist, his life, his father was a priest. His father worked in the temple 14 miles away. And he's a Levite. And yet he's a priest outside of the temple. He's forsaken his birthright as a priest. He's forsaken his role in the temple, which which is considered to be the dwelling place of God, the the, the tabernacle, uh, and now represents. But but here here's 
um, John the Baptist, and he now represents God outside of not only the temple, but Jerusalem itself. He's calling people to come close to God outside of the temple. Uh, and when you travel the Jericho Road and leave Jerusalem, which is, Jerusalem's pretty green. It's pretty green, it's pretty lush, there's lots of streams. But as you travel the Jericho Road, it's only 14 miles long. It's really not that long. But what's so shocking about that 14-mile journey is that Jerusalem's 2,500 feet above sea level. And by the time you take, finish that 14-mile road, uh, it's actually, the Judean wilderness is 800 feet below sea level. Uh, so it's a 3,500-foot decline or three Empire State Buildings stacked on top of each other. Uh, so from, from Jer Jerusalem to Jericho, it's about a 20-degree temperature difference. 14 miles away. Uh, and so here's the point. John is showing people that God is now a world removed from the temple. He's in a different climate. <laughs> He's in a different world uh, than on Mount Moriah in the temple. Uh, like the prophet Jeremiah, who, who was to proclaim the word of the Lord outside of the city gates. And what, what God was saying in Jeremiah is God's word is outside of that temple. It's not inside of the temple, it's outside of that, that temple. And if you can recall our study thus far, this only makes sense since Matthew has already firmly established that Jerusalem's a new Egypt uh, under a new Pharaoh and its leaders with the new Pharaoh magicians and its temple priests. So in a sense, John first, then next Jesus, it, it makes sense that we see both Jesus and John calling people out of Egypt, which sadly is Jerusalem. Uh, and, and as we will see, this somewhat culminates in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus gives a new law from a new Mount Sinai uh, in the Galilean wilderness at the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, secondly, Matthew says that John is, quote, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. This is a quotation out of Isaiah 40, verse 3. I got to read this to you. So the verses that surround this are really informative as to what Matthew is trying to communicate. So Isaiah 40, verse 1. Uh, and if anyone's ever listened to Handel's Messiah, he really pulls from Isaiah 40. And I'm having a hard time reading it without hearing. Comfort my people. You know, he does it. Uh, <laughs> Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Verse 3, Isaiah 40. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Verse 4. Every valley shall be lifted up, I really almost sang to you there, and every mountain and hill made low, and uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's fascinating that Matthew connects this passage to John because Isaiah 40 is a promise about the end of the Babylonian exile. And what Matthew is pointing out is that John is a, John is a sign that an exile is coming to an end. So, so Jerusalem now in chapter 2 was talked about like Egypt. Now Jerusalem in chapter 3 is talked about like Babylon, which was a type of Egypt in its own right. So all of this is pointing to, to that, that an exile is coming. 
John is pointing, Jesus is pointing that God is getting his people out of oppression. Uh, except again, the tragedy here is that this isn't, God's people aren't in Egypt and they're not in Babylon. They're in Jerusalem where the temple of the Lord is. Um, and God's got to call his people out. Uh, and then thirdly, um, John's story is deeply important to the story of man's redemption. So in, in Matthew's case, in his, his, his account, account of John, Matthew quotes from Isaiah 40, which I just read to you, but really interesting, Luke, from the gospel according to Luke, Luke quotes the same thing Matthew does from Isaiah 40, but when you read Luke's account, he adds all this other stuff. It's almost as if Luke reads what Matthew wrote and goes, oh, that's great, I want to add more. <laughs> and he throws on all these extra Bible verses to talk about the significance of John. And I want to read this for you. Um, this is in Luke 3.3. 3. Uh, and he went into the, uh, this, we're getting, this is a sword drill tonight, all you guys flipping through the Bible. <laughs> Uh, listen to this, and, and really fascinating too. Luke, he, he adds all these extra layers of the fulfillment of John here, uh, and he hops all over the place, but he stays confined within the book of his, uh, Isaiah, which I find interesting. Uh, Luke 3.3, 3, And he went into all the region and around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. We already read that. Make his path straight. So this is what Matthew quoted too, but then Luke adds, Every valley shall be filled. This is not from Isaiah 40, but from Isaiah 57, 14. And every mountain and hill shall be made low, Isaiah 49, 11. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, Isaiah 42, 16. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God, Isaiah 52, 10. So Matthew communicates the same thing Luke does, but Luke expands upon Matthew's point. Luke traces the importance of John the Baptist in the life of the Messiah and concludes and culminates that the coming Messiah is going to bring salvation to all people, not just the Jewish people. Luke wants to emphasize, just like Matthew did in the genealogy, remember he kept adding Gentile women? Now Matthew here, he's pulling from all of these texts to say, the Messiah that is coming is not just for the Jewish people. He's coming for all people. And he's showing that God's plan of redemption and salvation was always bigger than just Israel, which is why he pulls from all these different passages from Isaiah, that, that God desires all to be saved, not just some people. Uh, and, and, and so Jesus is ushering in that moment, and John is the one to prepare the way for that moment. And so, when you when you read all that, when you compare the gospel writers on John, they're almost all excited for what's about to come. They're 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 adding more scripture onto the next one to say it's coming, it's a fulfillment, it's here. Uh, and so, everyone again seems to really. Look at what John had accomplished as something very significant and, and study-worthy, which obviously we should too as the church. Uh, verse 4, this is where it gets really good. It's all been good, but this is really good. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. 
and his food was locust and wild honey. <laughs> Let's pause. Have you ever read that and thought, what in the world is that about? Yes. Well, let's talk about it. I'm going to give you a heads up. If you want to turn to 2 Kings 2, we're going to get there. Clearly, John is a rather strange-looking fellow, and I don't know who's wearing a fur coat in the desert. There has to be some odor, and this is not a good thing. Uh, he lives in the desert and wears a camel-haired coat tied with a leather belt. The significance of this is from 2 Kings, uh, uh, specifically chapter 1, verse 8, uh, and that's exactly what Elijah wore. But I want to read you something out of 2 Kings 2, starting at verse 6, and you all should know the story. Then Elijah said to him, Elijah, uh, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. Do you see the connection? We have the Jordan and the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them. As they both were standing by the Jordan, again, Jordan, Jordan, then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to one side and to the other till the, uh, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. First Kings 1 8 tells us what that cloak is. It's a camel hair cloak tied with a leather belt. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked and heard, you have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they, st as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. God, I wish I saw that. That would be cool. And Elisha saw it and, and he cried, my father, my father. There's the Hebrew double. It's a conveying not just father, but father, father, intense emotion. The chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. And when he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. Notice it says he tore his own clothes clothes. So Elisha rips his clothes apart. And then it says, and he took up the cloak of Elijah. So now he has new clothes. It's the same clothes made of camel skin and a leather belt that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the, to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. All right, Dunnery. The spirit of Elijah rests upon Elisha, and the camel hair cloak of Elijah was part of the verification to the people. Now, the camel haired cloak of Elijah is serving as a sign once again, but now in, in the gospel, that the spirit of Elijah rests upon a new figure. 
and John preaching and baptizing at the very site of Elijah's ascension, wearing the same clothes that Elijah wore, with a similar message Elijah had uh, to King Ahab and, 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 and uh, Jezebel. Uh, all of this, the clothes, the location, the message of repentance, all of this should tell the Jewish people that the Spirit of God, uh, the, uh, the Spirit of Elijah, the double portion is resting upon a new man. Or at least that's what John is declaring about himself. And remember by the time we get to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, remember they say, just tell us plainly, do you claim to be the Son of God? He said, I'll answer you if you answer me first. What was John's baptism from? Was it from man or from God? And it said they wouldn't utter a word because they knew the people regarded him as a prophet. They all accepted that man has the double spirit. He has the double portion because they knew for Second Kings chapter two, uh, because that's a really famous story. Elijah's taken up in a whirlwind, which has Levitical ramifications, but we do not have time. <laughs> verse five, verse five. I'm, going, I'm doing a personal study through Leviticus right now, and I am just dying to share some of it, but that's for another time. In 1 Kings, what, what verse did you say? You said it's First Kings 1-8. 1 1 Kings 1-8. Unless I fudge the numbers on that, we can go through chapter 1, but I believe that's it. Um, verse 5, Matthew 3. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And, and notice first, uh, what's the first group of people coming to John to be baptized? Does anyone see it? Verses. Verses. Then Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Oh. Jerusalem. The people of God's city are the first people to leave God's city to get right with God. <laughs> the people were leaving the temple in Jerusalem to repent. And the ramifications of this are huge. The people were leaving the temple of God to get right with God. To the Pharisees, just imagine, this is, this is fighting words here. Uh, this would have been so scandalous. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees are going to get really, really mad about this. And they're going to come down with a bone to pick. And they think they're going to throw around some theological sayings to John. And he's going to look at them and immediately call them a brood of vipers. He's just going right for the throat when he sees them. Um, but that'll be for another day. So we're done our reading. We're done our reading. One thought. One thought. One of the things I think about all the time when we see cross-references in Scripture, and I think it's good that we all do this, why did they quote this? They could have quoted a hundred other different Bible verses talking about, he could have pointed to, to, to so many different things in the book of Isaiah. Why did he point specifically to, to this portion? To tie it into the anointing? Uh, well, sure, sure. But, but if, if, there's, if there's 300 prophecies about the coming Messiah... Matthew chose one that he was trying to communicate something very specifically. Uh, and so he chooses specifically Isaiah 40, verse 3, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. It, 
If we were to keep reading in Isaiah, uh, past the section we read together, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9 through 11 says, Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Kai is in there. Lift it up, fear not, says to the city of Judah, behold your God. So Matthew wants us to connect this with verse 10. That this, this Isaiah 40 is talking about coming out of an exile, and now it's talking about beholding God. Isaiah 40, verse 10, Behold the Lord, God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are young with him. All week, I have been flabbergasted at the precision of God's word here. (laughs) This is a masterful quotation from Isaiah 40. Uh, One that that points to the conclusion of an exile. So we know an exile is coming. God's getting his people out of Jerusalem. But one that not only points to a coming exile, but one that looks forward to the coming of a king. So so Matthew, in, in one verse, is saying two different things. An exile is coming. And so is a king. And in a few verses, Matthew is going to announce that the king has arrived and his name is Jesus. <laughs> Thus make, uh, th- th- and thinking more upon Isaiah 40, verse 3, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So one of the things that I love to do, which I can't do too much right now in Revelation, just because it just doesn't fit. Uh, and I don't want to make my thoughts fit because that would be inappropriate. But when we're in the gospel, we can do this kind of stuff. <sighs> Historically, and back in Bible times and even later, if you knew that the king was coming to your town, you'd go, oh, the king's coming. What, what the town would do is that the people would go out of the city onto the roads and onto the paths, and they would prepare the roads for the coming of the king. If there were bushes that were overgrown, they would remove the bushes. If there were branches, if, if there were any potholes, they'd fill the potholes. They would remove large rocks. So the king's carriage would enter into the town smoothly and pleasantly and peacefully. If the king's coming, if he's a mile from your town and is his carriage is doing this the whole time. He's showing up with motion sickness. But if the people have paid, meticulously paved the road for 10 miles, you go, these are a people that are anticipating. They're excited to see me. It's a way of showing honor to the king before he even arrives, as well as, of course, hopefully receiving favor from him. Because <laughs> uh, you don't want a motion sick king. Well, what, what John... It, it, is here to do as Matthew and Isaiah are pointing out is that John is announcing that the king is coming and that John is now removing the debris for the king's path. He, he's laying the road for the coming of the king and it's almost as if he's calling the kingdom of God to join him to, to, by, by making their hearts right for his arrival. The people are to remove the debris, the brush, fill the potholes of their hearts if the king is going to find favor in them. And so John is telling them to get their hearts right before he comes. Now, the application to this and and what I love is when we get to to the end of the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 12, God Almighty is going to quote Isaiah 40 himself. And he announces that the king's coming. 
In Revelation 22, 12, Jesus says the king is coming, that he's coming back again. And here's the significance of this. There is a sense, when we're reading prophecy, it's, it's called now, not yet theology. There's a sense that Jesus has already come, he's already gathered his people, and he's already ascended. But there's also a sense that Jesus is coming again, and he's going to gather his people, and he's going to ascend once again. He's going to bring his people with him. And, and, the, and the reason John the Baptist was anointed with, by the Spirit of God is the same reason the church is anointed with the Spirit of God, to prepare a people for both an exile and for the coming of the king. This is our mission. John's mission is our mission. We're not terribly different here. We're to go into the highways and the byways and the, and the, the neglected people and prepare people to meet the Lord. This is what missionaries do. They, they, they go places and repent get baptized, and there's a kingdom of God out there. Make yourself ready. And so, uh, this is, no, I can't do that. I'm going to get rid of the thing. I, I think this is the, what we can draw from John the Baptist here is that his mission is almost identical to our mission in Christ. Amen. We have been given the spirit of Elijah. Amen. We've been given the Holy Spirit to call out faithfully, regardless of what people think about it. <laughs> no, matter, no matter what the religious establishment may think of us, sadly, as, as sad as that is. But we're just called to be faithful messengers of the gospel. And, and what is John's message? It's corporate. It's the church. You know, me and Bob talk about it whenever we talk. It's like, how can people claim to be a Christian but not be part of the church? It, do, it does. There is no framework within the scriptures for that. John comes preaching the kingdom. It's it's a, it's not only about the king. It's about people, um, and of course, within a kingdom, there's rules. There's all those sorts of things. But, but this is what the believer's job is to do: we're to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, which involves repentance. Um, but but it's also about a king and a kingdom. And this is why we have been anointed for such a time as this, yeah. to do the very thing John's doing. So I think as we continue to study his life, we're going to glean a lot for what the mission of the church is because uh, it's, it's, it's very identical. Uh, so why don't we pray and then we can open it up for questions. If anyone's got any, that'd be great. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the story. We thank yes. you for... Uh, j just how masterful your word is. We thank you for the spirit that has delivered these things and mm -hmm. we, we pray that we may hold them in our hearts and, and be faithful witnesses as your servant John was and Amen. help us to, to not only have a message of the kingdom but a message of repentance, not, not one of condemnation but one out of love. Mm -hmm. Help us to be filled with your spirit that we may do the work of your ministry. Yes. We pray and in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We've been given the Holy Spirit to call out faithfully, regardless of what people think about it. <laughs> no, matter, no matter what the religious establishment may think of us, sadly, as, as sad as that is. But we're just called to be faithful messengers of the gospel. And, and what is John's message? It's corporate. It's the church. You know, me and Bob talk about it whenever we talk. It's like... How can people claim to be a Christian but not be part of the church? It, do, it does. There is no framework within the scriptures for that. John comes preaching the kingdom. It's, it's, a, it's not only about the king, it's about people. 
Um, and of course, within a kingdom, there's rules, there's all those sorts of things. But, but this is what the believer's job is to do. We're to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, which involves repentance. Um, but, but it's also about a king and a kingdom. And this is why we have been anointed for such a time as this, yeah. to do the very thing John's doing. So I think as we continue to study his life, we're going to glean a lot for what the mission of the church is, because uh, it's, it's, it's very identical. Uh, so why don't we pray and then we can open it up for questions. If anyone's got any, that'd be great. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the story. We thank yes. you for... Uh, just how masterful your word is. We thank you for the spirit that has delivered these things. And we we pray that we may hold them in our hearts and and be faithful witnesses as your servant John was. And help us to to not only have a message of the kingdom, but a message of repentance. Not not one of condemnation, but one out of love. Help us to be filled with your spirit that we may do the work of your ministry. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for Calvary Baltimore's Harford County Bible Study Podcast. If you'd like to get in touch or come visit us at Calvary Baltimore, head to calvarychapelbaltimore.org for service times and directions. If you have a prayer request or you've just been blessed by today's teaching and want to say hi, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. To donate to the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. Pastor Josh and all of us at Calvary Baltimore consider it a blessing to serve you. We hope you'll join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Harford County Bible Study Podcast.